So I just wonder, how, you, how do you feel you're doing in joy? Are you progressing, are you progressing in your joy? Yeah? We want the PowerPoint, that's what we want. You, you feel you're doing okay in joy? Yes, I'm doing. Yeah. Because when I look across the... It's interesting when you come into a worship time, you look around the room, you think, is joy the overwhelming characteristic uh, in our meetings? I'm not sure it is, but I... Here we go, there we go. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, carrying on this theme of joy. But um, just by way of introduction, I, I'm a researcher, that's what I do for a job. I work in corporate finance research. And so I thought, I'll do some research into joy. And I, I came across this, if you want to turn to the first slide. Next slide, obviously, that's the title. Good. This is... It's a bit boring, really, but there we go. That's what researchers do. They do boring things. Uh, this is a ranking of happiness by country. And uh, you don't need to go into all the different ways it ranks it. This is the kind of thing that statisticians do. You think They try and calculate joy and happiness. It's crazy. Um, but interestingly, Switzerland comes at the top at the moment in the world, in the UN, uh, and the thing they're really winning on is sort of a happy society, good law and order, kind of gives them that little extra bit of... But I, funnily enough, I went to Switzerland in December. So that's, that's kind of where I'm going. And I've discovered the secret of joy in my trip to... Because they're at the top of the happiness charts, so this must be it. So if we go, go to the next slide. <laughs> Cheese fondue. <laughs> It is the only thing I could see that was any different to what we do. So you, we went out two evenings. It was a business trip, and we went out for two evenings. And you walk into the restaurant, and suddenly you get hit by this kind of, what is that? And it's cheese. It's just a really strong smell of cheese. And everybody else seems quite happy with it. And um, <clears throat> so we sit down, and you know, you're ordering, and people start ordering for this, this uh, cheese fondue thing not sure about that. I had a bit of a reaction like Smithy in Gavin and Stacey to the idea of sharing food. I don't know if you know what you're talk- I'm talking about. As you might not know, I've decided to be funny. So, uh, um, so yeah, my reaction to that... Can we go to the next slide? So then imagine the carnage on Friday evening after a really nice meal that Nell made when we had this appear on the table. Four pots of joy. It sounds good, doesn't it? Pots of joy. But how many are there in our family? Five. I can't go into details, but it wasn't a pretty sight. What happened after that? Four pots of joy in a family of five. Anyway, now, um, what I want to speak about is, is progress and joy. And actually... In the New Testament, the defining, one of the defining characteristics of the New Testament church is joy. They were full of it, full of joy. And I think it's something that's so easy that we lose. But actually, that should be a, a major characteristic of what it's like. So I found this fascinating just looking back when I was listening to John's talk. Uh, which, When Paul, you know, he's talking about, you know, I'm not sure whether I want to be, die and be with Jesus when I will stay here. And he decided, I'm going to stay here. But it says this, I'm going to continue with you all for your progress 
and joy in the faith. There's two things he wants. He wants them to progress, but he also wants their joy. Is that your experience of Christianity? That actually God has done you good. It was some great contributions in the worship, but God is good. He does us good. There is joy in God. But there is also a progress we want to make in our joy, but also in our relationship with Jesus. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 12. And uh, it's one of my favorite passages, actually, in the Bible, because it's really helped me in my Christian life. So I trust it will do that for you today. So Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Okay, we'll leave it there. So, there are three things I want to speak about this morning. And the three things are this, pursuing progress and joy, overcoming obstacles, and future focus. Okay, and I'm just going to pray before we do that, because I think it's always helpful just to invite God to come by his spirit. So I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for each one of this, everybody in this room today. We thank you that a God full of joy and love for us. And I pray, Lord, your love would touch our hearts today. I pray your word would come alive to us and we would understand what it is you want for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the key phrase then, the first thing, pursuing progress and joy, and the key phrase is this phrase, I press on. And whenever you're doing a Bible study, if you see the word something appear twice, you think, no, he really means this. I press on. So you turn over the first slide. It says, he repeats it in both verse 12 and 14. I press on. And this phrase, it literally means to pursue, to run a race. I have, uh, I'm just going to mention this. I, I have done park run uh, last year. Anybody know what park run is? Yeah, good. It's where you run in a park. Okay? And it's, five, it's 5K, which sounds longer than three miles. But it's... it's uh, and um, I did it a few times last, last year. But then because I knew I was speaking about running a race, I did it yesterday. <laughs> Isn't that vain? Isn't that terribly, terribly vain? But what was amazing yesterday is Craig Rule... Shout out to Craig Rule over there. Craig Rule was on my tail. <laughs> so I'm running this race, and I'm looking back, which you'll see we shouldn't do later on. But, and he's there. He's, he's, now, Craig is, Craig's been going much more regularly than I have, and he's really improved his time massively. But this is kind of what Paul's saying here, is we can progress. We can improve as Christians, as believers. We can make progress. We don't have to 
just carry on as we always have been. Actually, we can grow, we can mature, we can progress. And uh, the word literally means to, to run afterwards enthusiastically. It's not like a, oh, being a Christian, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, really tough. We've got the, there's a, a, a quote on that slide. We go back to the slide. This is from Tom Wright. And the quote says, Paul does not see the Christian life as a gloomy struggle. <laughs> How about you? You know, as I was saying earlier, that there are three things that are f- characteristics of the Christian life that uh, should be characteristic of churches and believers everywhere. And it's these three things that I mentioned in Romans. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So these are three like, characteristics. So we should be progressing in these things. We should be progressing in righteousness. We should be progressing in peace and joy. So there should be a joyfulness about us. Now, I think we've got some progress. I know I have. When I first came to the church, i tell you how bad I was. I remember coming into this fellowship. We were at Stamble Lane at the time, a long time ago. And I remember looking at lots of happy faces. And I thought you know what, I think they're faking it. That was, seriously, my experience of Christianity was if I saw people actually joyful, I thought they were pretending. That you can't really be joyful because Christianity is such a tough, gloomy... Is that... It was just me then, okay? <laughs> well, God's worked on me and uh, I'm, I'm progressing. But, you know, we, some of us start at quite a low base <laughs> and we've got a way to go. But these are things that God wants us to grow in. So this is the case... At the Philippian church, right at the start, there was joy. Right at the start, there was joy. So you hear about the story about the Philippian jailer, who was pretty close to doing himself in uh, when he was in the situation where it looked like everything had gone wrong for him. And then you know, he, he, Paul explains the gospel to him, explains how he can be saved. And it says this, it says this, The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He was filled with joy. It wasn't just, uh, well, I've I've done the thing I need to do to make sure I'll be safe in eternity. No. He was ecstatic because suddenly God's real. God's real. He's changed my life. He's come in by his Holy Spirit. This is exciting. This is not a struggle, a, a dull thing. This is something amazing to come into a relationship with God. So it's not a tough uh, thing. And one of the things I find <clears throat> most encouraging about this is Paul himself, how he's changed. Because when he started, he was a bit, of a bit of a misery, wasn't he? So in this, earlier on in chapter 3, you talk about, he says, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Wow faultless were you? he was what a happy man he must have been at that point being faultless but then he comes on here and then what he's saying is these things he says I don't think I've obtained all this now he's a believer he's saying I've not been made perfect suddenly it's changed he realized actually I've not obtained everything but I want to progress I want to mature I want to grow I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it it's amazing that this kind of change that happens in Paul. It, at one point, he's like, I'm perfect. And then, now he's a believer. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not perfect. 
but I'm running this race. It's exciting to be a believer, and I'm progressing. I'm making progress in my relationship with God. See, there's a massive difference between joyless legalism and sort of ritual and a relationship with Jesus, an actual dynamic interaction with God as an individual. God's actually speaking to you, and you're actually in relationship with him. And it, oh, wow, it's real. <laughs> that's, that's the difference. One is external, one's internal. Paul had this internal relationship with God, and he was, he was so joyful about it. And it was a completely different feel. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a different feel that Paul had. Um, so I find that encouraging. And why do I feel that? Because I know I'm not perfect. <laughs> That's probably why I found these verses so encouraging in my Christian life. Because sometimes, I don't know if whether it's just me, but I'm, I'm disappointed with myself. Is it just me? I wish I was so much better. I wish I was like... <laughs> thank you, John. He's disapp- John is disappointed as well. But, but, uh, that's such an encouraging thing. Uh, no, but I think when you look at yourself, you think, I, you know, you want to be better than you are in God. You want to grow. But you've got a lo- there's a long way to grow. And actually, nobody, this is the encouraging thing. This, the person writing this is the writer of the New Testament, a lot of it. And he said, I do not think... I've obtained all this. I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm the finished article. I've got a way to go. But I'm pressing on. I'm pursuing progress. But I find that really encouraging. Because I think, actually, that's all of us. Whatever level you're at, whether you think you're an amazing believer, or whether you feel like, I'm just, I'm just about jogging, but I'm jogging. Well, actually, there's encouragement here that all of us can progress that is what Paul says here. The message puts it like this. Can someone get that, please? <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I've made it, but I'm well on the way. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is becking us onwards to Jesus. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. So this is Paul. He's saying, I've still got progress to make. God's not finished with me yet, and I'm not finished pursuing him. How about you? Do you like that Wren Collector song? You're not finished with me yet. That is God's perspective on this. He's still got stuff he wants to do in you. But the the question back is, are you going to pursue him? Are you going to chase after God? Be a God chaser. That's really what we're looking at in these verses. But yeah, talking about sinless perfection, it does creep into the church at times. And I remember hearing a really good story about Spurgeon, apparently, uh, that these guys were teaching that you could become perfect in this life. And so uh, apparently one rumor says he went up to them and he poured a jug of water on their head. <laughs> and they got really angry. He went, nah. <laughs> uh, now, I, can't, I couldn't find that was true, but I did actually come across a... His own, in his own words, he says that a man came to him who said he was perfect and wanted to teach Spurgeon about you know, how, uh, uh, how Spurgeon could improve. And may, uh, managing the arrogance of that. But anyway, so he went to, wanted to teach Spurgeon how to be perfect. And then he basically started teasing him, saying, well, I don't want to go to your house because there'll be too many angels and I won't be able to get in. And uh, the guy reacted and then he started teasing him and basically he lost his temper with Spurgeon I thought it was 
hysterical. He's just like, oh, I love these, these old guys. But um, Spurgeon said this. What's interesting is this. He made a comment on this passage. He says, though consciously imperfect, so Paul knows he's imperfect. Paul was zealously making progress. He says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I know many who say that they are imperfect and seem quite satisfied to be so. That was never the case with the apostles. So you get the balance. It's not, oh, I'm rubbish and that's it. But it's actually, no, I want to progress. I want to grow as a believer. I want to make progress. I may not be perfect. I may still fail at times. But I want to run the race and I want to progress. So how about you? Are you progressing in your faith? God has made it a a way for all of us to progress. Whatever stage we're at, whatever you've been running the race a long time, you can still progress. Paul didn't say, well, yeah, I've made it. No, he he was looking at the finishing tape as being the end of his life. And he was looking all the way. I'm going to keep progressing. I'm going to keep progressing in God. I'm not just going to say, well, this is my level now. I'm going to keep looking to progress and improve my time, as Craig Rule has done in the part run. Did I mention that? Amazing progress. Right. So that's the first thing, pursuing progress and being joyful in it. The second thing is overcoming obstacles. And this is, again, I think why Paul brings this up is that the reality is there will be times, there will be times like the runner It feels like he's hit the wall. There will be difficulties and challenges in this Christian life. There will be moments where you've got to press on and you don't feel like it. That is the experience of running. As I remember from yesterday, uh, when Craig's behind me, I'm there. I'm just thinking, oh, I just... Because it was windy and wet. It was horrible. Anyway, but... You get, you get moments where the wind is against you and think, just think, oh, I just, it'd be so much easier to stop now. And that is, the, that is the Christian experience. We need to be really clear about this. The Bible makes it quite clear that believers will not have a... a whilst there is many good things and um, there's blessings and joy and all of that, there are trials and difficulties and things we have to overcome. Is that not right? So if you turn some of the slides over, there's, I just want to flick over a few of the slides. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Go, 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 go. There we go. So in three places, I thought I, this was an extra slide I slammed in this morning because I was thinking about that. I'm thinking this is such, such an important thing. Three places in the New Testament, it tells us to be joyful in difficulty. In difficulty, okay? So in James, it says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials because you know something. Because you know that, that it's going to produce something. In Peter, it talks about uh, you can greatly rejoice, though you have trials of all kinds, but it proves something. It, if you come through it, if you progress, it proves something. The genius of faith. The same in Romans 5, Verse 3, it talks about we know that suffering produces character. So what am I talking about? You've got to be clear with everybody that there will be moments in Christian life which is hard, difficult, and it feels like a trial. Is that not the case? 
Is that not the reality of it, that sometimes things come at us? Again, if we go back to the previous verses, in Galatians 6 it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest. So there are, there are moments when you feel like you want to give up. That's the reality. You just feel like, actually, I, I just would like to give up. That's one of the most common challenges to believers, I think, the temptation to give up. And it comes at you at different times and at different seasons. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 4, it says this, therefore we do not lose heart. And it says it twice, don't lose heart. And why does it, I remember hearing a Scottish preacher once say this, he said, the reason he's saying that twice is because the temptation is to lose heart. When stuff goes wrong, when you have a, an obstacle, when didn't, things didn't work out as you wanted, it's the tendency is to lose heart, to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Persevere. Because it also says then that Jesus shines his light into our hearts. It's actually God who will help us through. It's not just us and our human effort. It's God inside us that will help us through. And even notice it in Hebrews where it says, don't give up meeting together. Now why did he have to say that to the Hebrews? Because the tendency is to want to give up on going to meetings. I'll let you into a little secret. I have mentioned this before, but for prayer meetings, like tonight, okay, almost without fail, I've been a Christian for, you know, I'm 44 now and it's been a long time, Almost every time at a prayer meeting, I feel like this. I don't want to go. I don't want to go tonight. I don't want to go tonight. It's much, much more strongly than any other meeting. A prayer meeting in particular, I get this feeling like, I don't want to go. And I've learned through experience to go anyway. So my little... My little and every time I go, I think, oh, it's been great. I'm so glad I came. But there's that kind of battle moment where it's like I'll just give up I just don't now what is no it's not all about meetings but it's an meetings it's a sign of something in your heart isn't it if you you have to press through say no I do want to grow I do want to go I want to I'm not I'm not going to listen to that voice that's telling me to give up to just take it easy to put your foot off the gas that's that's one of those common temptations I think for Christians is to give up. And it's, it's in the Bible all over the place. So be encouraged. When you hear that, don't give up. Say, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to press on for that which Christ has taken hold of me. So, there's, um, so it is, it's not just us. That's the, the thing I wanted to get across here. It's not just dogged determination here. It is God getting hold of us as well. So I love this phrase where it talks about he's getting hold of that which Christ has got hold of him for. I don't know if you feel that, but God, if you're a believer, that happened because God got hold of you. He started something in you. In the beginning of Philippians, it says this, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So even if you feel like, I've only just really started, well, the reality is, God, if God's got hold of you, he wants to carry it on. Not just when you're a young person, 
Not just when you're middle age, all the way through your life. He wants to carry on working in you. Okay? If he's got hold of you at this young age, that's great. It's great that you're in the room. But Christianity is a, a lifelong race. It's something you just keep on going. Being a follower of Jesus is running after him, chasing after him. So be encouraged that it's not just about you doing it. Paul was saying this. He said, you know, it's, I'm apprehended by God and I'm apprehending. So sometimes you hear this phrase, oh, just let go and let God. Have you ever heard that phrase? This is the exact opposite of that. It is not, just take it easy. It's no. Get hold of him. Grab hold of God. Be a God chaser. Pursue after him. He's got hold of you, but you get hold of him. And in a funny sort of way, that's how it works out. It's grace at work. It's not... I've got to be a better person. No, it's God, you've accepted me as I am, weak, faulting. Thank you, you love me. You've got hold of me. I want to get hold of you. Is that, that's how it works. Does that make sense? That's how you overcome the obstacles. And there can be some very real obstacles. I just want to quickly mention some of them. So there's trials, temptations, even triumphs, even victories can be an, an obstacle to this if we just keep looking backwards because that's what he gets on to. There can be difficulties, disappointments, delays and defeats. I was getting obviously a bit carried away in my alliteration. Setbacks, sins, successes. <laughs> Who writes this stuff? <laughs> I did. I guess. Um, but there were two other obstacles that are not on here that came to mind and one of them I think a real obstacle that can knock people sideways is, is the sickness and also bereavement. I think you can lose, you can lose someone that can really knock you sideways. Um, and I remember I had a friend um, who died in a, in a tragic accident when he was only 27 years old. And he was a close friend. And the people who came to told me, you know, it just... It just knocks you sideways. There is no other way. But what are you going to do at those moments? Are you going to come pursue God? Or are you going to harden your heart and turn away from God? That's the point with these trials. What I was trying to get at earlier is every time you hit a trial, you've got a choice. Every time you hit a trial, you've got a choice. Am I going to turn to God? Or am I going to turn away from him? And that's, if you don't know that these trials are going to come, that's where people lose it. They, they blow it. They turn their back on God and think, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know it was going to be a trial. Well, I'm sorry. That is the New Testament's full of that. So someone didn't tell you. That's, you've got to be clear. There are trials. But bereavement, you know, I think you've just got to give yourself space. There's sometimes, you know, it talks about Paul here is sorrow. He's got sorrow because Epaphrodite's almost died. He doesn't say, oh, be joyful. No, he doesn't say that. He was, he was concerned that they would be upset about Epaphroditus. They should be upset. He has almost died. And yet, um, yet, in it, they wanted to progress. They didn't want to let something like that knock them out of the race. So that's one thing. I think bereavement can do that. And I think God is the God of all comfort, if that's you today. He's the God of all comfort. He can comfort you in it. He can be with you right in that moment of loss and bring you through. That's the hope, isn't it? That's the hope. It doesn't have to... Sometimes things like this can actually knock people right off. 
where they should be going on the race. You're on the race and something's knocked you right off. It happens in the New Testament several places. So what, who cut in on you? You were running a good race. What happened? So there can be all kinds of trials or, or temptations or things that try to cut in on us. The other thing, and I think it's quite important, is relationship breakdown. A relationship breakdown. And why do I say this? <clears throat> well, you notice in the next chapter, you won't notice if you haven't seen, but, for, but the, and I'm treading into John's territory now, but then he did say he was disappointed with me, didn't he? So <laughs> this is my revenge. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, no, I won't do all of it. But in the next chapter, Paul actually addresses two women who've had a falling out. He says, Euodia and Syntyche, you know, come try and get back together. Don't let this falling out ruin it. And actually, I think, underlying this whole letter of encouragement to be progressing in joy, but also about attitudes. There's a lot about attitudes in this letter. So this whole chapter, in chapter 2, where it says, think about Jesus, who being a very nature of God, did not consider equality, but it's an amazing phrase about Jesus, who Jesus was. But he says, right at the start of this, he says, let your attitude be like that of Christ Jesus. So that's the whole reason he does this amazing thing about Jesus. He wants to get your attitude right. Get your attitude. And there was these two women who were probably full of selfish ambition. Is one of the other things he talks about. They were full of themselves and their own importance. They couldn't see the other person's point of view. And they were causing a problem in the church. It was a relationship breakdown. And Paul says, no, don't let that happen. Don't allow the body to be broken up with a relationship breakdown. You know, come together. And he actually encourages other people to come around these two women and, and try and talk it out. And this is where I think this key for Paul is this phrase about... Um, the key answer is don't dwell on the past, isn't it? Forgetting what is behind. He doesn't, he doesn't say who's right, who's wrong. It's interesting that Paul himself has something of this kind of problem with, uh, you'll notice in Acts, it says that in Acts, Mark, this relationship breakdown issue, Mark, John Mark was with him on a trip and basically he, he packed it in and split. So he was supposed to be with him on a missionary trip and this guy, John Mark, went home. He just said, I've I've had enough. And so they were going to do another missionary trip and uh, John Mark was in the mix and uh, Paul said, no, I don't want to take John Mark. He's a bit unreliable. Not really. And Barnabas said, come on, Paul. I, mean, I, was, I wasn't there, but I'm just you know, imagining. So Paul wanted to, didn't want to take John Mark and Barnabas did want to take John Mark. And it says they had a sharp disagreement. Apostle Paul had a sharp disagreement. Woo! <laughs> um, is real, the real people. They had a, a genuine... And what's interesting is Luke doesn't say who's right or wrong. He just says, there we are. It happened. A sharp disagreement. But what Paul... I, I wonder if this is not what Paul's also thinking about. I want to forget what's behind. Did I make a mistake there? I don't know. Who, God knows. But the point is, we've got to look forward into the future and not dwell on the past. That's the real key of this, this whole section of Scripture, is do not dwell on the past. Because you imagine a runner, 
a bit like I was with Craig, who's constantly looking backwards. Well, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. You're not going to make much progress because you're caught up with the past. That, that's in the past now. We've got to look forward. Yeah? That's kind of how he's describing it. And that's, it applies to so many different trials and difficulties and problems we get. Is okay, forget what's behind. Let's press on towards what's ahead. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's teaching here. He's saying, do not dwell on the past. Now, it doesn't mean there's not good things in the past. But Alec Motti put it like this. It's the sort of dwelling on the past that hinders our present effort and future progress. And uh, Charles Swindle said this. And get this. Some of the unhappiest people I have ever known are people who are living their lives looking over their shoulder. So I've... For me, I found this, this verse in particular one of the most helpful verses. And we, we've all had stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there are people here who've had much worse stuff than me to deal with. Um, but I've had, I've had stuff to deal with. And this has been a key thing for me. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which God has called me upwards. You get that? So just whatever it was that tried to knock you off the race, whatever it was, forget about it. Leave it with God. God knows. But one thing I do, I forget that. I'm going to look at the future. And the future, the, the past, this is the most amazing thing about the New Testament, is the past, your sins, your failures, your mistakes can all be dealt with at the cross in Christ. Nothing, your, your past does not have to affect your future. It does not have to predict your future. Whatever it was, whatever difficulty, what your upbringing was, what, your, um, what happened to you in childhood, everything can be dealt with in Christ, in the cross. Everything can be dealt with. Your character traits, your tendencies, it can all be changed through Jesus. It's amazing what the gospel can do, if you let it get hold of you, God can completely change you. So your past does not have to determine your future. But you have to stop living there. You have to stop living in the past. Don't let the devil... I've noticed this as well, that whenever you're trying to do something with God, uh, the enemy will often remind you of the past. You did this. Call yourself a Christian. You're like this. You said that. Things you did wrong. Is it just me? No. The enemy wants to discourage you in the race. Why is that? He's scared of you making progress. But no, whatever it was, leave it in the past and press on. So there, it's all about adopting attitudes. How are we doing for time? Badly. Uh, if, but... There are attitudes to adopt. But one of these attitudes, I think, is to not adopt an attitude of defeatism. And you notice uh, in the next chapter, it talks about, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So often these, the mental battles we go through is, is writing yourself off, saying, oh, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not good enough, you can't do this, you can't do that. No, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the, 
That's the word of God to us. No, I'm not going to live under that label. I'm going to live under that, or I'm this, I'm that. No, I'm going to believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that is one of the things to do. Adopt a good attitude to God. So Charles Swindoll says this, progress is maintained by forgetting the glories and the grind, focusing on tomorrow's challenges and opportunities whilst we keep the right attitude. So a future focus then. So this is really, where are you looking in your life? What are you looking at? And obviously it's not just um, not looking behind, but it's also looking ahead. And this is what's the most encouraging part, is that we fix our eyes on Jesus. There's very similar teaching in Hebrews 12. You're probably familiar with that, but if we flick on to those verses. Hebrews 12 says this, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. So how do we run with a future focus? Well, we focus on him. We focus on Jesus. We focus on the end of our lives when we'll see him face to face. I think that's what Paul was doing here. He's thinking about, I want to run the race well. And my encouragement is pace yourself. Okay? You may think it's a funny thing to do, say, but my encouragement is just, just to keep your focus on Jesus and pace yourself. I noticed this at Park Run, and it's the same when I was doing cross country at school. The tendency is for people to go off really enthusiastically at the start. And you see this in Christian life. They're really enthusiastic. And then they, they get around the corner and go, oh, goodness me. <laughs> and they can barely run because they've just. They've just not paced themselves. And I think you've got to look at your life as a, a whole life. Does that make sense? To look at it as a whole life and say, no, I want to follow God all the way to the end. I don't just want to do a, a good spurt for a couple of years. I don't want to be a zealous Christian for a, a little window and then burn out or fall into sin or do whatever. No, no, I want to do it the whole thing. I want to run all the way. And it, it's, so it's about setting a good pace. And um, there's this thing in running. I'm, I'm sound like some sort of... I went five times last year. That was it. Okay, I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of marathon trainer. Uh, but, there's, but there's this thing marathon trainers do. They call it a negative split. And the idea of that is that you run the second half of the marathon faster than the first. So you deliberately say, well, I'm just going to... But I'm going to keep... I'm going to speed up, actually. I'm going to speed up. Now, there are lots of us probably in the second half of our lives. I think God's encouragement is not to say, I'm going to slow down. I think there's an encouragement to, to speed up, to do more, to, to progress. But the only way you do that is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. And it's the one thing he says, isn't it? The thing I'm listening for is the well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if that's a, something you think about. But that, that is a really precious encouragement from the New Testament that you will hear over your life. Well done, good and faithful servant. So that is my encouragement to you today. To pursue progress, to overcome obstacles, 
but also to fix your eyes on Jesus, to have a future focus. Say, okay, this is where we're at now, but I'm going to believe that I'm going to make progress with God. Okay. I think we'll finish there. If the band would like to come up, I think I'll just pray as we do that. Lord Jesus, we, just, we come to you today and we say thank you for your help in running the race. Thank you that you've taken hold of us. Lord, and we just say today we want to take hold of you, whatever it is. And I just felt that there may be specific things that come to your mind this morning where Jesus says, I took hold of you. And obviously one of them is relationship. But I took, took hold of you for that. And something's actually stopped you doing that which Christ Jesus took hold of you for. And I, I want to provoke you and encourage you. No, why? Why have, why have you not taken hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you? What is that for you? What is that thing that God, when you were first, maybe that's a prayer, somebody prayed over you, or somebody said, well, this is something that God's got for you. And, you've, and you knew it was right, and yet something's taking you off it. I just want to encourage you and provoke you. What is that? What is that thing for which Christ Jesus wants to take hold of you? And it's going to be different for different people. But Lord, I pray that you would provoke us to run the race well. In Jesus' name, amen.